Hey, Caitlin. Hey, Chris. I'm excited because it's Wimbledon. And we have a guest. We have a Wimbledon expert of sorts, uh, my oh. good friend Katie. Hello, Katie. Yeah, def- definitely of sorts, as in I don't know much about tennis, but I have been there. <laughs> I think the alternative title for this podcast could be Total Speculation. Okay, that's good. That's fine. That's good. As long as as long as that's not important, I can offer up any sort of whimsical, fantastical illusions, you know, wild guesses. That's fine. So what's it like over there right now, um, post-Brexiting and UK football club defeat? Um, I don't know. It's it's I think there's it's we're kind of reaching a slightly hysterical laughing phase where it's getting more ridiculous by the day and uh still definitely in denial I think there's a lot of denial and kind of anger and hate but also just the memes are quite funny as well so yeah it's kind of hysterical that's the only way I can describe it (laughs) one thing that I did not realize that I don't think a lot of people know is that tennis players who are competing in these tournaments internationally get paid in the local currency and they're the sterling that I think a lot of these uh players were expecting is now worth a whole lot less. Yeah, uh, yeah, their volleys, I'm sure, are going to be a little bit more lackluster, you know, like, who even cares, you know? <laughs> <laughs> just keep it in arm. There's going to be a big footsie on, like, one of the big screens to check and see how much it's worth. No, yeah. There's gonna, well, yeah, we're going to have to, like, share punnets of strawberries and things like that. So, Katie, one of the reasons I wanted to have you on the show um, is because one of our favorite podcasts, the No Challenges Remaining podcast, uh, which is not rife with speculation, it's rife with facts and um, actual reporting, did a really wonderful walkthrough of Wimbledon, of the grounds, and explained the history and the gardens and all that stuff. Um, And it was so great, and people should go listen to it, but I thought we could offer somebody something a little bit different in terms of a Wimbledon walkthrough. And lucky for us, you used to work at Wimbledon. I did in the year of 2009 when I was an 18 year old spotty teenager. Uh, I did my South, uh, you know, it's Wimbledon is run by teenagers from Southwest London. It's like the water park over summer, you know, it's two, it's a load of kids turn up for two weeks to earn about a grand in your back pocket from a couple of weeks of like 13 hour days cleaning toilets. Yeah. So that's, that's, I, I know, I know the behind the scenes well. I'm just picturing like that Bill Murray movie where he's like the head counselor and uh, the counselors in training at summer camp are basically off smoking and drinking and not watching the children. Is it kind of like that? It's exactly that because I mean the supervisors are probably only a couple of years older. They've done it a couple of times before um, and they massively, they, they over employ. There's, there's way too many people working there. There's so little to do. And it's just, and you just have to look busy all the time when, like, the absolute head supervisor is there. But other than that, it's it's free game. Uh, there's a lot of napping behind the gazebo on Henman Hill and uh, <laughs> drinking half-finished pims. Yeah, it's it's pandemonium. You can't believe, like, it's it's such a posh place, but it's absolute shambles. So, Katie, is it really true that you clean toilets at Wimbledon? Yes. Yeah. No, I did. I had the, I had the, so we, they want it to kind of seem like a upscale venue. So they put a toilet attendant in all the, the, the bathrooms around the site. And I was um, off on one of the, one of the quieter sides of court one. So I didn't have it too bad. You were kind of, there'll be the ebb and flow of the game. Like people would uh, quickly come out during a break and play. There'd be huge queues. Uh, there'd be toilet paper all over the floor and you'd have to quickly change hand towels uh, and then they'd all go back in again and you'd quickly sweep up and then maybe like take a nap in your 
cupboard or go and watch the uh, go and watch the screen for a little while. But uh, yeah, yeah, no, I clean toilets. So, uh, is there anything unique about Wimbledon toilets? Are they like purple and green or something? Uh, no, no, it's very it's very standard. Unfortunately, the the thing that's unique is that people are dressed up very very nicely, but behaving absolutely appallingly. It's that kind of uncanny uh, thing. There was there was a lady who. She, uh, wearing, I don't know. It looked. I think she was wearing. Uh, she was wearing a pair of Christian Louboutins, and I knew that because her feet were sticking out from underneath the bottoms, <laughs> and I could see the scarlet bottoms of her shoes because she's passed out next to the toilet. <laughs> oh my god! Yeah, from drinking too many pims. Yeah. <laughs> so when you're saying that you drank half, were you drinking strangers' pims earlier when you oh, said yeah, you were drinking? Yeah. So we would, there was this, there was, there's always this lull near the end of the day because um, uh, all the other courts would finish and centre court would still be going. And no one was allowed to leave before the last game on centre court because what would happen is um, all the cleaners from across the entire uh, site would have to come to centre court and you would line up one person per row, uh, two people per row, and the front person would have uh, a sack. And the person behind would have a mop. And you would then have to walk the entire way around centre court, picking up the half-finished pims, the half-finished strawberries. And and obviously your bag would split and you'd get bin juice all over yourself. And the person behind you would mop it up. And that's how they would clean up centre court final thing at night. And so while you're kind of waiting for like that hour between the end of the, the final game and, you know, uh, and, and being able to and to finish up, you just yeah, you drink as much half finished pims as you could find on site. No one cared. <laughs> if anybody has not had a pims who has listened to this, and I enjoy them frequently and make them during the the fortnight, yeah. um, it's not the kind of thing that you'd want to drink a stranger's version of, nor is it something you want to drink a lot of. So I can imagine it only really makes sense in like an eighteen year old's mind to do yeah, that. Absolutely. Well, I mean, you'd you'd find ones that were basically completely full and still cold, and someone would have just put down and just wandered off. Particularly if you're, we were very close to the um, business lounge kind of area, um, mm. so people who were just getting free drinks would just sort of leave them about and we'd go up afterwards and we'd see what was left in there as well. Oh yeah. Yeah. It was, yeah. I'm, it was de- definitely gross. I'm not, I'm not making excuses, but that was, it was what it was all about. So were any of you tennis fans? Like, are you a, ten- a fan of tennis at all? Uh, I'm a fan of Wimbledon in that, in that way that I think most British people don't give a damn about any other Grand Slam. Like if Murray won every other Grand Slam, but not Wimbledon, that would be as good. That that would be as much of a failure as you know winning none, uh, winning none of them. So like I always watch Wimbledon and when it's on, I have it on the background, but I definitely don't follow the rest of the rest of the sport. It, it, that it wasn't about the only people who, if you're a massive fan of tennis and you want to work at Wimbledon, then you would definitely try to get one of the ball boy positions. Uh, because that was great because you'd have a little chat with the players and you get a really good tan and that was kind of the best so, job so wait so the were the ball boys like the cool kids uh of the wimbledon staff oh yeah absolutely because they would normally have been there for like two or three weeks longer they were probably quite attractive they definitely had these amazing tans yeah they were the cool guys and everyone thought and all the people who worked on the food stands thought they were better than the people who worked in uh, as cleaners but we knew that they had the worst job because they had to interact with the public a lot more. And everyone knew that the security guards were the absolute worst because they would be stationed at random, far-flung places in oversized 
blazers you know just standing in the sun doing nothing and thinking back this this was still in a post-terror age this was 2009 so it kind of boggles my mind to think that security at an enormous international sporting event was mostly done by like 18 year old kids uh so, so you were saying you're in your experience it is better to interact with toilets than with uh fans at Wimbledon yes absolutely well I would say that I think there was a lot there was definitely that kind of uh, you know, uh, tribalism. But I think I, it looked like I was having a better time because I definitely, had, I, I had downtime. I could nap in my broom closet. Um, I was on court one, uh, which kind of gets a lot quieter in the second week. So um, we were able to make friends with the guy who was on the, on the kind of the entrance door closest to us because they hire um, army officers and firemen and police officers to to stand in those positions and take people's tickets so because it looks good and they wear their uniform so we made friends with a fireman who was on our door and by the second week we would just uh wear white t-shirts underneath our cleaning uniforms uh we we take off that sh- top shirt when uh, there was nothing around and we just go in and we'd sit and watch sit and watch the tennis for a little while it was great i saw some ladies doubles for, for a couple of hours at one point Anybody notable? Who'd you see? Uh, I don't remember, unfortunately. One was, they were both tall and blonde, and that was sure. about it. Yeah. It, yeah. it could literally <laughs> be anyone. But yeah. I have to say, so Brits are generally unenthused, except for Murray, but you have to be excited about this guy who made a good run, the local Mar- pro, Marcus Willis. Yeah, he was 700 and something. Even I know about him. And like, I am. I am distract. I can I can describe myself as distracted right now. I'm not paying any attention to anything apart from, you know, the political apocalypse of my country. But even I was able to be, you know, have a, a cheerful moment when I saw his like little face come out <laughs> on the court. Uh, and yeah, I mean, it's very sweet. It's the kind of story we like, the underdog. And he was, you know, he was quite rightly sort of put to one side by Federer. But it was very sweet to watch him have to say this is the thing about murray as well that i've realized the remain camp should have made a much bigger deal about the fact that murray is scottish and if we're to leave the eu then we're almost certainly going to lose scotland from the uk and then we wouldn't be able to support murray anymore and all of his sort of reflected glory uh, for english people won't mean anything so i think that would have actually persuaded a few people (laughs) that's a great point and one thing we talk about on this podcast all the time is how wonderful Judy Murray is. So the combination ah, yes. of a champion and his delightful, charming mother. She was on our equivalent of Dancing with the Stars, Strictly Come Dancing. I heard it was bad. Yeah, yeah, well, she, yes, yes. I don't think she was... Well, no, we don't like people who look like they're trying to win. And Judy Murray is definitely at all times trying to win. So when she went on one of those programs, she wasn't amazingly endearing, I have to say, unfortunately. Ah. In an American yeah. context, that would only make us fall in love with her more. Am I wrong, Chris? No, no, no. We, you have to look like you're not trying to win at all times. That's how it so works. So I feel like this is all lining up for Annie Murray, like between Brexit, depending on your yeah. feeling about Brexit, and yeah. losing to Iceland. Like if he were to find a way to win Wimbledon again right now, it wouldn't be as big as the first time that he won it, but it would be maybe pretty fucking close. Yeah, I think, yeah. I mean, we really, we need him to do well. I think... The football happening, it felt like an inevitability that it was going to happen. Like, we knew they were going to lose their nerve. Like, that's just what always happens with our with our football, our soccer, apologies. Um, but we didn't think of, <laughs> we didn't think it would be 
quite with such sort of like they were just so roundly beaten. Um, yeah, I think he. I think we love him since the Olympics. To be honest, I mean that kind of year for him when we were just walking on there, and it was the London Olympics, and he won there, and everything was so great. I was actually in Peru in the jungle watching that on TV when he won the Olympics, and even I felt so proud. But uh, yeah, he could he could definitely uh, offer some sort of salve to our our national consciousness if he wins. Or I think we, we might actually pass that stage age to be honest as well it's irretrievable the the yeah. country's morale might be irretrievable even an andy murray victory i i don't, I don't really know who's watching wimbledon we're way too distracted there's so many interesting things going on right now that is, is kind of mortifying i was openly weeping both when andy murray won the gold medal and when he won wimbledon weeping yeah. openly weeping and i mean i'm not british but i feel i think the whole country feels for you all yeah especially here in the states where we're facing something very similar sort of as i said we're in the hysterical laughing phase and we're thinking of all the the other things we still have to come like the uh rio olympics that's gonna not probably go well uh and then we've got the u.s election so we really have so much more to come in 2016 katie totally fair people are distracted i view one of the roles of this show as giving the commoner the man who is not a, a rabbit tennis fan an entryway in and the way that we do that, as I indicated earlier, with A, total speculation, and B, T, in the American sense that we use the word T, which is to say gossip. And I have something really delightful because I've just started following a new Twitter account called WTAT, which is the Women's Tennis Association, essentially gossip Twitter handle. And they alerted me to something so amazing that I am shocked that I missed. And it corresponds with the match that is going to be played tomorrow uh, at Wimbledon. It's a match between Alizé Cornet, who's a young, feisty French woman, and Sarah Arani, who is a young, feisty Italian. And they met last year, um, and tauntingly, Alizé Cornet started saying vamos, and they had a vamos off, um, even though Alizé Cornet speaks French and should have been saying "allé." And Sarah Arani got so upset about this, she stopped play and started yelling at Alizé Cornet during the match itself, and said the following, which has now become a bit of a meme on the internet, why you say vamos? That is perfect. I feel like Irani <laughs> is super easily unnerved, evidently. She's Italian. What do you expect? So yesterday in the run-up to their match, Alizé Cornet, and this is what was posted on WTIT, the Twitter handle, Alizé Cornet uh, took a picture of herself practicing and tagged it with the hashtag why you say vamos. That is tremendous. Oh, my God. <laughs> right? Don't you feel like, you know, an American or a Brit turns on the TV, sees these two playing, thinks, there's nothing for me here. How wrong they would be. They You're watching it. two feisty, hot-blooded Europeans at each it's other's like, throat with memes and hashtags. It's like Becky with the good hair. Exactly we like need. that, Katie. We need, we need like, it, it, that's, that, that's my equivalent, unfortunately. <laughs> that's fine. That's exactly what tennis needs. We're always talking about what tennis needs, and it needs more catty rivalries. And if this is our Becky with the good hair, what, it, what yeah. better time? This is what, uh, it's what, it's what Ronda Rousey did for uh, Ultimate Fighting for Women. She just knew that she kind of had to be an asshole to make people pay attention to her. She had to be, you know, she had to do all that kind of trash talk, and it kind of worked. So maybe that's just what we need more trash talk in, in women's tennis. Uh, Ronda Rousey, uh, Caitlin, that feels like the right note to end the show. Katie, it's been an utter delight. Thank you for joining us during this time of crisis to talk about your past experiences. 
It's good. I've, I've had a good 20 minutes off. Now I can go, go back to sort of screaming into the void. All right. So thanks for joining us. If you're new to the main draw, subscribe and rate us wherever you get your podcasts.